The eighth chapter of Romans was uh, at the very heart of Paul's wonderful letter. Uh, that was his big statement. Uh, the other letters to the churches were important, but Romans was pulling everything together. And in this eighth chapter, we have so much pulled together. And just think of where the Christian church was. Uh, Paul uh, imprisoned and soon to be executed. And when he quoted that scripture of old, for your sake we are being killed all day long, we are accounted as sheep to be slaughtered. It was a reality. And therefore, knowing who God was and never being separated from God, was such an important belief. Today we are concluding our sermon series called Redeeming Rituals. In these weeks we have looked at the Holy Communion and Holy Baptism, the two sacraments of the church and the rituals that give rise to those sacraments that draws the community together. And we've also looked at the Lord's Prayer just last week. The Lord's Prayer is in the ritual for both Holy Communion and Holy Baptism. And today we look at the Apostles' Creed and the importance of the creeds, all of the creeds, that underscore the God from whom we will never be separated. The creeds stand as our foundational belief or our credo uh, our, our understanding, in, in essence, with Christians all over the world, the basics of Christian faith. And so today we're going to look at this important part of our ritual, this redeeming ritual, the Apostles' Creed. You know, the church has had several creeds through the years. And in our United Methodist hymnal, there are um, a half a dozen or more creeds that we can use when we affirm our faith. But the church has had two main creeds for the centuries it's been in existence. One was the Nicene Creed. And I want to say a word about that because later on, uh, the anthem following the sermon will uplift the words of the Nicene Creed, which is this ancient creed that came to us, a common statement of belief that was needed uh, to uh, underscore the truth of the Scripture and to dispel heresy. The term Nicene comes from where the council met in Nicaea, Turkey, and decided on matters that were so very important to the foundation of Christian faith. The creed was adopted mainly to resolve what was known as the Arian controversy. The controversy was led by a clergyman named Arius and, and, um, and he really did kind of blur the, uh, the lines between God the Father and God the Son and, and, and really did diminish the divinity of the Son of God. And it was the Bishop Alexander and the supporters that got together and said, we have to make this statement of God three in one. And the doctrine of the Holy Trinity was established in the Nicene Creed. And the Arian doctrines were henceforth marked as heresy. Today we look at the Apostles' Creed that dates back uh, to about 400 A.D. 
The Apostles' Creed was widely accepted, uh, accepted by the Christian church. It, 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 it is a, a culminating of the many different um, baptismal rituals that were used and the creeds that were used around baptism. The Apostles' Creed was in essence the baptismal creed. And in the third and fourth centuries in Rome, this creed came to be. And then in the sixth and seventh centuries, it reached its more final form that we recite today. And we've already done that in worship this morning. The creed gradually replaces the existing baptismal creeds and comes together with this one statement that most all Protestant churches uplift. Now I want to say this about creeds. The creeds are about a connection to God. Father, Creator, who God is and what God does. The Son, who is the Redeemer. And the Holy Spirit, who is the sustainer of our faith, that constant presence of God with us. You know, I'd like to also say that I believe the creeds came to be to center our belief that nothing separates us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, just as Paul uplifted um, centuries before the Apostles' Creed came in the form that we have it now. The Apostles' Creed connects us to God through the statement of belief, and it connects us to one another as collectively in our ritual we join together as community in saying those sacred words. In the United Methodist Book of Worship, we have a creed that is based on Romans 8. It's a creed that basically underscores this concept that the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed also sees on, that our God, three in one, is always present and nothing separates us from God. Let's look at that scripture again from the 8th chapter of Romans. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And we could go on. Our politics or issues related to race. Or other kinds of despair that we might find ourselves in. And, and other kinds of things that tend to separate and divide. Nothing separates us from the love of Christ. You know, what do you think when you hear the term separation anxiety? Do you think of a toddler going to the nursery for the first time? Kay's had to think of that, I know. Or a kindergartner going to big school for the first time and watching mommy or even daddy shed a tear as they go to the school. Or an elementary student going off to spend the night at a, at a camp or, or to spend an entire week in that separation anxiety sets in. Or a high school student going off to college for the first time. In our family, oh, by the way, did I tell you that I have a new granddaughter? Her name's Lily Grace. Anyway, our concern has been about her two-and-a-half, nearly three-year-old sister, Claire Bear. 
and, and, and not wanting her to get this anxiety, this separation anxiety when she sees her mother now sharing time uh, with Lily Grace, sharing love with Lily Grace, sharing everything with Lily Grace. And, and so, um, you know, we've paid special attention to, uh, to Claire Bear in not wanting her to sense this separation anxiety, this competition of sorts. But you know, we adults, we can experience separation anxiety too, really throughout life. Some have known the separation anxiety of being separated from one to whom you were married and the fear of separation leading to divorce. And some know the separation anxiety of, 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 of losing a job and not knowing exactly what professionally to do next. And some know the separation anxiety of losing a loved one to death and what it is like to think about life without that one. And that separation anxiety sets in. Some of us even know uh, separation anxiety as it relates to God. The separation anxiety related to God can play itself out sometimes in shame and guilt uh, because we've done something that we feel has separated us from God, that God could never be proud of us because of what we've done. We, we, we can hear it said, I have done something and I don't see how anyone could forgive me and especially I don't see how God could forgive me. That's a separation anxiety in and of itself. And, and, and sometimes people get angry at God because something has happened that, and, and you've prayed about it and you've, uh, you're trying to figure out why God didn't answer your prayer exactly the way that you prayed. And, 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 and you, you get angry at God and you separate yourself from God. And you say, I can't live in a world like that. If God created this world, then why does this happen? You've heard that before. Maybe you've even spoken it before. Maybe you feel it now. It's a separation anxiety. And, and we've heard that old adage, and sometimes it doesn't really help, but, when, when we, but it is true. When, when we think that, that, um, that, that God is separate from us, uh, it's not God who left us, but we've left God. When you feel like God has left you, guess who's moved? But sometimes that doesn't really get us to the place that we need to be. We can rationally know that, yes, God doesn't move from us. We move from God. But sometimes that separation anxiety sets in so that we just can't get that right now. You know, this passage that Kay read earlier begins with this verse. God for us did not spare his own son. The Apostles' Creed is the statement that embraces Romans 8 in so many ways. The Apostles' Creed underscores who God is and that nothing can separate us from God. And the statement really reveals two realities underscoring God's loyalty. First, we know from the Bible and our Trinitarian theology, that God and Christ are one 
in the same. Therefore, it is God who lays down God's life for you and for me. When we read that text, God for us did not spare his own son. We are talking about this highest form of valor or courage when someone lays down his life for another. But the the statement takes on unimaginable understanding of loyalty when Paul said, God did not spare his own son and gave him up for us. You know, I do not even understand that kind of love and commitment. I would not give up my son for anybody. I would give my life for my son. And and so when we think of God, who uh, a parent giving God's son up for death, it's hard for us to imagine God being like that. But when we understand who God is, related to the Trinity, related to the creeds, we realize that God is the Son. That the Creator and the Redeemer are the same. And so the Sustainer, the Holy Spirit, uh, reinforces the who of God. God is Father, God is Son. Therefore, when we read this, we really read that God Himself laid down his life for you and for me. God's loyalty is amazing. For he sacrificed himself. You know, in verse 34, we read this. It is Jesus Christ who died. No, was raised from the dead. And who is at the right hand of God who also intercedes for us. Paul is saying four things about Jesus in Romans 8. Paul is saying, and the Apostles' Creed also reiterates this, Paul is saying Jesus died, rose again, is at the right hand of God in the ascension, and intercedes for us. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? We are God's constant thought and passion. You know, I once had a conversation with a very fine leader of the church. She informed me she was leaving the church. And when I inquired why, she said, it's really about the Apostles' Creed in worship. Now, now friends, I have never had anybody come and tell me they were leaving the church because we uh, said the Apostles' Creed. I've never had anyone before her, nor have I had anyone after her. But she was a traditional Christian person, but she thought the Creed said things that she did not believe, and she couldn't be in worship if we were saying things she couldn't believe. She'd sat at the feet of a a more liberal teacher who did not believe in the virgin birth of Jesus or the resurrection of Christ from the dead. But she really had problems in thinking that Jesus was a judge. 
She hated the part of the creed that said that Jesus will come to judge the quick and the dead. Now, the earliest creed of the church, which is still the essence of the Christian creeds, ran like this. He was crucified, dead, and buried. And the third day he rose from the dead and sits at the right hand of God. From thence he will come to judge the quick and the dead. You know, Paul agrees with those three terms as we see in Romans 8. That Jesus died, he rose, and he lives. But the fourth way that Paul puts it, I think, is the proper way to understand God's judgment. God intercedes for us. Paul believes that the fourth um, um, aspect of, of, of God's life in Jesus Christ is that God pleads our case in Christ to God. Jesus is not there for us to be our prosecuting counsel, but to be the advocate, to plead our case. Now, isn't that a comforting understanding? And the great biblical scholar of the 20th century, uh, William Barclay, we still read him today, wrote so much of interpretation of the Bible, especially the New Testament. William Barclay said this, I think the second way of taking this statement of Jesus as judge is right. With one tremendous leap of thought, Paul has seen Christ not as a judge, but as the lover of the souls of people. Wow. You know, I don't know about you, but I will trust my eternity to a judge who loved me enough that this judge would lay down his life for me and plead my case always before God. There should be no separation anxiety when we think of a God who is like this. God the Father, our Creator. God the Son, our Redeemer. God the Holy Spirit, our sustainer, who will never, ever, ever leave us. You know, I remembered this past week, another woman who had, uh, was moving from Dallas, and she'd come uh, to my office to have that final visit to say goodbye. She wasn't leaving um, under any kind of distress or under any kind of of, of bad condition. She really hated the fact that she was leaving this church, Lover's Lane. She was moving out of state, but she wanted to make sure that we knew her story. She came to us in the midst of a tremendous separation anxiety. She had cancer and she was fearing separation uh, uh, by death from everything she loved, especially her children. And in the midst of her cancer fight, her husband had left her. And so she was experiencing that separation from one whom she'd been married to, the father of her children. For many years, they had shared love. And now that was no longer. 
She said that she'd been a member of another church in a, um, a suburban town, and, and, and she said that, that, that she just didn't believe that church quite got it, it as far as her need and her children's needs. So she had come to Lover's Lane kind of on a whim. She said, I came to Lover's Lane in the midst of the most frightening, unsettled, unsure time of my life. She said, I came here and you loved my daughters. My youngest would come home talking about what she had learned in Sunday school. My oldest daughter found a place in the youth group that met her in the midst of her confusion and uncertainty and gave her a relationship with Jesus Christ and other young people in the group. I just came and sat and listened for a change. And God has been speaking to me through you and the staff of this church, the members of this church, through everything about what this church has been for me. Friends, pastors love to hear that kind of witness. And though I was really hating to see her move to another state, I was so comforted by the words that she shared about what she had experienced here. She'd experienced the living Lord, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ, the church. Then she said something. She says, I haven't been able to give anything to the church. I couldn't give. And I was made to feel that that was all right. I was told that at times in our lives that we just, we have to receive. For one day we will be able to give. And she said, I did just that. I received. And I am taking so much more away. And I can assure you, I will be passing it on. She said, now I am leaving it, but I'm not afraid. I'm leaving this church, I'm leaving this city that I love so very much, but I'm not afraid. God is with me. And thanks for helping me see that nothing separates us from the love of God. You know... I'm so thankful that Paul centered our thought that the church built on. Nothing separates us on the love of Christ and from that came the creeds. And the creeds de de described who this God is from whom we're never separated. And Paul said it so poetically. Will hardship or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or peril, or sword. Nothing separates us from the love of God. Not life, or death, 
are angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And who is this God, our first love? Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day He rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen and amen.